You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Lord, I confess I've been a criminal I've stolen your breath Sang my own song. Lord, I confess I'm far from innocent. These shackles I wear, I bought on my own.
want you to know that they have lost nothing, even though this is number five, but just three today. And you know what? We are so thankful that God rolled that stone away. Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter. It's going to be an amazing service for you. Um, I don't know if you noticed, we've got some kids in here today. So our elementary students joined us. If you're in elementary school, give us a shout out. Hey. All right. I'm going to tell you my joke. Are you ready? Here it is. Why don't you see any dinosaurs on Easter Sunday? What do you think? Because they are extinct. Got it? Okay, try to remember that one. It's a really good one. We are just so glad to have you in here with us today. Parents, when you go home, talk to them about this message. We purposefully invite them in on Christmas and Easter so families will talk around the dinner table and just talk about what does resurrection mean? What does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead? Why do we celebrate Easter? This is a great opportunity for you all to be hearing the same message. So definitely go home and enjoy that conversation with your family. So I bet you're wondering like what's happening next. I want you to start thinking about the fact that you cannot celebrate Easter without a Good Friday. So we would love for you to just take a moment and watch a a short video on our Good Friday. It will lead us right into the message today. So, so happy to see you all. Enjoy. My fellow Pharisees and I observed Jesus carefully, and it became clear that we could no longer dismiss these miracles as, as rumors. He did heal people. He claimed to be the Son of God, blasphemous and punishable by death. And that is what we had planned. Jesus carried his heavy cross, step by step, toward the hill where he would spend his final hours and take his last breath. It's never personal. Never make it personal. But after a while, it turns into a job. Some people are farmers, some are craftsmen, some people are politicians or philosophers. I'm a centurion, 873 executions. It was the 874th that changed everything. After a few hours had passed, something strange happened. It started to get dark. You know, I thought a storm was coming, but it wasn't. And then I heard 874 say something. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I slowly looked up at the prisoner, and her eyes met. I couldn't look away. Who is this man? How could he say these things? When 874 gave up his last breath, The sky became like night, but it was only three in the afternoon. Suddenly the earth began to shake more and more violently. People started running away, the noise, the confusion. When the quake finally ended, I looked at the prisoner, lifeless on the cross. He was dead. But they've killed him, Jesus. They crucified him like a blasphemous lunatic. Pharisees stood by, spitting on him, insulting him. He did not deserve this.
can't sleep. I lay there staring into suffocating oppressive darkness. Just when I start to drift away, I hear his voice. It's soft and barely audible, but it, it's him. His voice, distant, calling my name. Mary. I sense this, this sorrow leaving my body, this hope stirring in my soul, but when I open my eyes, there's only darkness. So in desperation, I run outside. I must find him before he leaves, but he's not there. And I'm alone. He's gone. His voice, it's silent. I've dreamt of him calling to me. It's maddening, I'm torturing myself. I mean, he's gone, he's, he's dead. You saw it with your own two eyes, the cross, the nails, the limp body. I miss him. I miss his voice, the voice of the one who healed me. Last night, Mary and Salome and I went to the market to buy myrrh and aloe for his body. I didn't want to go. I wanted to just curl up in a dark corner and never face the world again. But because she is mourning her beloved son, I will go everywhere with her. I mean, who else is gonna do it? Matthew, John, Peter, and Thomas, and all the others aren't hiding. I get that they fear for their life, but why protect a life without him? But Jesus spoke full of life now and eternal life with him in heaven. dawn now and we're near the tomb. I wonder what we'll see. We've been walking at a fast pace with our heads down, but I just keep thinking over and over about a mysterious thing Jesus said. He said he'd be delivered into the hands of men, suffered a great deal, and killed. And that is what happened. But then he said this, on the third day, I will be raised. We all thought there was a, a hidden meaning or perhaps he was warning and preparing us. Or, or could he have meant that he would, or somehow he would, I can't go there again. What is, what is happening? Where's the stone? Who is that? Yeah. 
Well, good afternoon. It is afternoon now. Good afternoon. Happy Easter, guys. Um, sorry that I had to walk off stage. I, uh, my pack died, and I thought, can I survive the next two songs without it? And I could not. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, but welcome, guys. If you've never been here before, um, and maybe you're, today you're new to church, um, and maybe you're new to Jesus, or maybe you don't even know him yet, um, I want to say welcome. And I want to kind of explain why we're celebrating so heavily today. And we're celebrating that we have a God that loved us enough, that loves you enough to send his son to die and to hang on that cross. And we honored that on Friday. And today we celebrate and yesterday we celebrated because he didn't just send him to die. He sent him to rise again. And he invites us to rise with him. Amen. And so if this is all new to you, that's totally okay. You're in the right spot. You're in the, and you're in a good place for that. Because we don't have all the answers for all the questions you might have. But I can tell you this, that I've been here long enough to know that there's an army of people here who are willing to walk through life with you, who are willing to walk through those hard conversations and those questions that you might have and find the answers together. And to tell you this one truth, that Jesus is a God who loves you and he wants relationship with you and he wants to restore you and he wants to redeem you. It does not matter what your past looks like. It only matters what your future is going to look like when you choose him. So please, I invite you, come back next week. Come back next week and continue this celebration and continue to find out who Jesus is.
Happy Easter. Jeez, oh, Pete, the tomb is empty, the throne is filled, our king reigns, and his name is Jesus. We're so glad that you guys are here with us today. Hey, I just wanted to um, make a quick note. This is the noisy side today, because, listen, it's one o'clock. Y'all are kind of the warriors in one sense, because I'm just going to bet you haven't had dinner yet. I mean, nine o'clock, 11 o'clock, they're already eating food, but you're the warriors. You're holding out for dinner, and you've still got three hours to go, because this is a long service, so... Somebody actually was excited about that. You need help. All right. So, I, by the way, I loved how Matthias, he's done this at every service. He's, he's done his introduction, and, he, and then he gets into that, like, come back next week. Come back. And some of you are like, what the heck? It's over already. I love this church. It's the quickest service ever. So, no, nope, we got a little bit more to go. So, uh, hey, by the way, with all the kids in the room, let me just say something really quick. We are super excited that you're in the room with us. Quick shout out. If you're one of the kids in the room with us and you're not normally here, shout it out. Come on. You know you can be noisier than that. 
Here's what I just hope you will hear from me, moms and dads, like l- let them go. You know, one of my favorite points of the entire day so far was nine o'clock. We had a whole group of kids just here run up and down the center aisle, dancing, having fun. I grew up one of seven kids. Their noise will not bother me. I am totally good with it. Matter of fact, I grew up in a church that had the whole like mindset, kids should be seen and not heard. That is not us. We are thrilled that they're in the room with us today. So if they're playing, if they're having fun, if they're getting wild, just let it go. It will not bother anybody, or at least it won't bother me. Maybe the guy next to you, I don't know, but it won't bother me. By the way, I might need some help today before we're done. So if we've got a kid in the who just raised, like, I don't even know who you, okay, I wasn't even done with a sentence. You have no idea what I'm going to ask. Could be crazy. You really don't care? Okay, all right. You know what? If I get to a point where I need some help later, I'm calling on you, okay? So when I say, where's my helper, you just make your way up here, all right? Okay, we'll see how time goes, but I may call on you later. All right, good, good, cool. She's super excited about it. She has no idea what's going to happen, so this is great. All right. She's going to steal, she's about to steal the mic from me already. So, ah, all right. So we're going to go through what I think is not just an incredible day, but has been in the incredible history for 2,000 years. And I'm going to navigate through the day of the resurrection through a couple of the different people that were there and how they responded to it, with their reaction, with their, I think, just emotional, visceral, visual, uh, intellectual, all of it, just reaction to this whole idea of Jesus coming back to life and see if in that, as we celebrate it, some of us maybe find ourselves in their reaction to it as well. Because the last week of Jesus' life, not just the day of the resurrection, but the last week was an incredible week filled with, in all honesty, a complexity of motions and frustrations and thoughts and questions. I think, honestly, probably the last week of Jesus' life produced three of humanity's most important questions that we have ever tangled up with and wrestled with. And some of us have directly done this. Some of us have indirectly wrestled with these questions. But on Palm Sunday, the question really produced from that moment was, is this the one that we've been waiting for, the promises of all the prophets that one day God would send an answer to the brokenness of humanity, and then in comes Jesus in this grand entrance where the people celebrate him. If you know the story, Hosanna, Hosanna, literally crying out in unison, he is the one that saves. But then Good Friday comes pretty quickly. And I think the question that emerges on Good Friday was, were we duped? Is it over? But a lot changes in three days. And then there's Easter. And the question of Easter is, is it really true? Is it really true that Jesus Christ is who he said he was? Not just from God, not just of God, not just knew God, but was in fact God himself. And somehow in a way that we can only partially even begin to get our minds around, the God of creation became his creation, allowed his creation to pin him to a cross, was dead as dead can be, three days in a tomb, and under his own power and authority walked out of that grave and did what we just sang about and put the handcuffs on death. Is it in fact true? That's the question of Easter. And today there's millions of people around this globe that are celebrating that reality that believe it to be more than just a religious idea, but in fact, the truest thing about who they are and who all of us are is that there's a God who didn't just make us, but made us for himself, us for him and him for us. But I also want to just acknowledge, and I think it's necessary, on a day like Easter and on on an account like this, 
regardless of the fact that there's millions around the world celebrating this right now, and many of us here in this room online right now, by the way, shout out to our online community, wherever you're watching from, you have tuned into the Orion campus at Kensington, glad you're here, I see you Matt Davis in McKinney, Texas, so thrilled you got, put it in the chat, let us know where you're watching from. But of all the people still around the world that are celebrating this today, let's just be honest. The accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is just an innate absurdity about it. Because dead people don't come back to life. And so one of the things, I just hope you'll feel the freedom and the the grace in this place to understand is that there is no expectation that we're all in the same place of belief and embracing of this reality. Because some of us in here, we don't know what to make of this yet. And we don't know if this is foolish or nonsense. And maybe some of us in here actually think it is foolishness and nonsense. I'd say a couple of things. You're in great company. Because everybody here doesn't necessarily believe in the resurrection. And many of us are still trying to figure out Jesus. And is this true? And did this happen? And I would even say those of us in the room that do believe it and are willing to die for this belief, we haven't always believed it. And even if you go back to the people, the men and the women that personally knew Jesus... Many of them didn't believe it. Many in the crowds that followed him and saw the miracles he performed doubted him. The religious leaders who were tasked with the job of studying the scriptures and all the prophecies about him that should have been the ones at the front of the line to piece it all together and go, he's checking all the boxes. Born in the right place, of the right time, doing the right things, boom, it's him. Even those people doubted him. His own friends doubted him. Even his own family doubted him. If you've ever felt abandoned by your family, misunderstood by your family, the black sheep of the family, literally nobody gets that more than Jesus. And yet people from every single one of those categories would go on post the resurrection to not just change their belief, but change it and hold it so deeply in who they are that they would live for it and many of them would die for it. And what changed for them, and even in fact what changed them, is what an uncountable amount of people have believed, have lived for, and died for for the last 2,000 years. And it's that 2,000 years ago, death really did surrender to the mighty cross of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we celebrate today. So I believe very much that God is present. My belief, as the scriptures tell us, he holds all things in the palm of his hands, means that he's here and we're where he is. And so the last thing I think any of us need is just to hear my voice. I just want to ask that he somehow removes me, and we just hear him talk, and we get from him, me, you, all of us, what it is that he wants to give to us today. So let me pray, and then we're going to dive into what I think he wants us to talk about. Father in heaven, I just come before you and acknowledge, as we have been all morning, that we are free, given the freedom to choose you and the freedom that you give because of your cross. You, Jesus Christ, who literally split time and everything in this world revolves around even by the dates that we choose, this moment in time. And you, the man on the cross, put in a tomb and walked out of it. And so I pray, believing, as many do now, that you are not just a religious idea, that you're not just someone or something to know about, but to know that you are the God of creation, that you are, as Matthias said, you are relational, you are passionate about us, you are knowable. And so would you make yourself knowable to us? To those that know you, take our knowing of you deeper this morning. To those of us that want to know if there's a you, meet us in our questions and doubts. 
to those of us convinced there is no you, do what only you can do to prove yourself and to reveal yourself, I pray. But all in all, God, I just say thank you for your unbelievable sacrifice demonstrated through Jesus Christ on the cross. They closed all of the gap that has ever, does, and will ever exist between us and you. In your name we pray. Let us hear you clearly today. Amen. So uh, one of the things that's important to us as a community is uh, a moment we're just going to do together right now, and it's to take up our offering. And please just hear me. If, if Kensington, if church especially, is new to you and you're just joining us because it's Easter, we say this a lot. Our God is a giver. He's not a taker, so neither are we. Not trying to take anything from you. But here's why these moments are important for us and why we do them, even when we have so many guests in the house with us, is we really believe that God's given us a mission. And it's not just to gather on Sunday and sing songs about him. That's like a fraction. The biggest part of our mission is what we do outside of these walls to love people like Jesus did when he existed and when he walked among us in physical form. And uh, I, I just be honest, one of the ways lately that I've been super proud of how we have done that has been tangling up with the Ukraine war. Uh, we've been collecting money in and making donations over through an organization to Ukraine. 100% of it is going to the people to help them. Over the last couple of weeks, the generosity of our church has donated about $184,000 to feed and house and help people escape the war in Ukraine. And I'm only telling you that because I just always want to make sure when money comes up at church, it can get super weird. And I just want you to know our belief here is that God does not give it to us for us. He gives it to us for others, and so we give it away. And so that's what we do in these moments. If you're a part of that and you do that with us, then you know as we always say thank you. We couldn't do what we do without you. And if you're not, we'd love to have you join us, but we are not expecting you this morning to give. We're expecting you hopefully to take from us. You can read as well as I can, so I don't read it, but there's all the ways that you can do that. All right, here we go. If you got a Bible, we're going to be in a book in the Bible called Luke. We're going to be in the 24th chapter. If you do not have a Bible... Everything goes up on the screens just to help you find it more easily and quickly. And, uh, man, I've grabbed this three times. I should probably drink it, huh? All right, there you go. Uh, Luke 24. So there's a couple of different books in the Bible that are specifically the account of Jesus' life, his teachings, his miracles. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, All of them add different layers of the story so that you get this beautiful full picture as you put them all together and read them in harmony. But most of where I want to camp today is in the account of the resurrection in Luke 24. Because you're going to see three specific reactions to the resurrection that I think are reflective of what probably many of us have felt at one point or another or maybe even now when it comes to the story that there was a dead man in a tomb who walked out under his own authority. So here we go. Luke chapter 24 verse 1. On the third day of the week, very early in the morning... The women took the spices that they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. So I'm going I'm to read a little, talk a little, read a little, and just kind of navigate through this chapter. So the women that are on their way to the tomb right now are comprised of a group of women that have been following Jesus much of his ministry, which has been about three years. And some of them have been women that have been helping fund it. They've been helping organize it. Uh, there's one in the group who is miraculously healed by Jesus. So these are people that have gone all in. Like, they are completely committed to the belief that he has been teaching that he is the God of creation. And yet here they are in this moment after going all in in this belief that he's the one. They've banked everything on him. They've expected him to do everything he said, bringing this new kingdom to bear that he's talked about, saving his people. So they've gone all in on that belief. And yet all of a sudden, in this incredibly abrupt moment, in the middle of everything, really at its climax and peak, it just stops. 
And now they're on the way to the tomb. And they're on the way to the tomb because there's these after-burial procedures that you put a body through. And so that's what they're going to do. But you have to imagine, this is just the human reality, is that as they go there, they're just reeking with emotion, disappointment, frustration, sadness, even a sense of betrayal, because they had trusted him. Everything he said, they trusted that he was telling the truth. They trusted that he was, in fact, God. But the problem is, gods don't die. And yet, here they are. And I think as you read through the story, it's so important to make sure that we don't remove ourselves from it, because all of us have moments like this. This is where we can relate. You didn't walk to Jesus' tomb 2,000 years ago, but you've had moments where you put your trust in someone or something, and they didn't come through. A moment where you were betrayed, a broken promise, stuck in the back, a moment where you went all in, and everything just came to a stop. Maybe it was a job, a marriage, a friendship. Maybe it was a church. Maybe it was God himself. You went all in, and it just seemed like God didn't come through. So this is the condition that they're in. Like This is the emotional reality, and it's not just them. It's everybody. We know there were thousands and thousands that had trusted Jesus to be who he said. And there's just this reality of this emotional disappointment among the masses. So they show up to the tomb. Verse 2 says, They found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. But while they were looking and wondering about this, suddenly... Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? So super interesting question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Because they're, they're actually looking for the dead among the dead. They have no expectation or anticipation that Jesus is alive. And so when the angel speaks to him and says, hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You've got to imagine there's a little bit of confusion. They're going, I... We're not. We're actually looking for the dead among the dead. And again, here's where I think this is partly our story. Because I think we have a tendency in life to do the same thing. To look for life among things and places that don't give life. To look for the living among the dead. I'll I'll give you a visual of how this works out in a very simple way. Now, my, uh, my daughters are 15 years old. And this is a story about them. And they have made me swear and swear and swear to be incredibly clear that what I'm about to tell you occurred when they were four, not 15, so they were four, so they were little, okay, so I'm stressing it to their benefit. But when they were four, uh, they had these bags, these Barbie bags. Uh, They're twins, and they would walk around with these bags. Each one had a little bit of different color, but it had all of their possessions in life that mattered to them. I mean, anything in this bag, this was life, and they loved everything. Like Everywhere they went, the bag went. They went to the bathtub, bag went to the bathtub. They went, they went out of the house, bag went out of the house. They went on a walk, bag went on the walk. Because everything of value for them was in this bag. If it couldn't fit in the bag, it didn't matter. But if it was in the bag, this bag was like, you try to get that bag away from them, forget about it. They would cash me in sooner than get rid of the bag. You all have some of these if you have kids, right? It's a binky or it's a blanket or it's a, a stuffed something or maybe it's a Barbie bag. Yeah, are we the only weird family? Okay, so they had their bag. This was all of their stuff, and they loved this bag. It went everywhere. Life was in this bag. You go, okay, what's the point? Because we don't carry around Barbie bags, and we're not four-year-old girls. Yeah, we do. Ours just get bigger, and it holds more stuff, and it gets a lot more expensive. In, in our bag, maybe it's, it's not a, a, I don't know, what is this, a toy car with many. It's our Tesla. 
It's, uh, I'm just going to make this work, whatever I pull out. Here we go. Uh, it's, uh, it's the perfect spouse. It's um, the love of history. I don't know. <laughs> uh, how about building blocks? It's, it's your house. It's the stuff you can build and acquire in life. Do you get the idea? I mean, we go through life, and it's so easy to be convinced that the stuff that we can acquire in this life and take possession of, that's going to give us purpose. It's going to give us satisfaction. It's going to give us accomplishment. It's going to give us meaning. It's going to give us worth. It's going to give us life. And here's the truth. I'm not going to tell you something you don't know, but sometimes we need to be reminded, this is not life. Because every single thing that you and I love in this world, everything, is one day going to be buried in the ground. Because it's dead. And yet there is this lie in humanity that life is found there. The women are at the tomb trying to find dead things among living things, living things among dead things, because they forgot They've forgotten something that they're about to be reminded of by the angel. But again, this is what we do. We forget too. And that's why we try to find life among dead things because we forget. Y'all ever put something somewhere that you know you're putting it there because it's a weird place that will help you remember that that's where you put it and then you forget where you put it and lose it? I do that all the time. So just last Christmas, I had this whole situation. So I go to put the Christmas lights up. We use like the long stringy ones, the icicle ones, and I bring them all out, start plugging them in. And that's when I remembered that half of them were blown from last season. And I'm like, got it. Like, I told myself last season, go get new lights. Because we all know if you go to Target at the end of December, you're going to get them like 60% off. And now I'm looking at them. I'm not doing the whole bulb thing and what's blown and what's not. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Why didn't I buy the lights? So I have to go to Target now in, the, in December, like at the beginning of December. I buy all new lights. I come home. I hang out. look great. And then this, the Christmas is over. I take the lights down. And then I start thinking, you know what part of the problem might be? It's a heat fluctuation of storing them in the garage. So I'm going to put them in the basement. But where do I put them in the basement? And the kids play down there. It's all over. I'm like, oh, I got it. There's this place under my stairs. Nothing ever goes under the stairs. I'll totally remember that. That's where they are. And they'll be safe. And you guys know where this is going? So I go downstairs, and I open up the little under-the-stairs door, and guess what's in there? Lights that I bought last December when they were 60% off. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Or, or even worse, I'm embarrassed to admit this one, um, it's like the time that I forgot a birthday I shouldn't forget. Any guesses? <laughs> Thank you for calling me out so quickly. It was indeed my wife's, yeah, which I should never forget because her birthday is July 5th. <laughs> if there's any trigger to remind you, tomorrow's important. It's when it follows a major holiday. But I'm going to admit something to you I have not admitted to any other service yet. The reason I constantly forgot my wife's birthday was actually because I confused it with another birthday. We had a dog who had a birthday on July 6th, because that's when we got him, so it was his birthday. And so I would always confuse her birthday with our dumb dog's birthday. I'm a horrible man, I know, and I've paid for it ever since. There are things in life we just shouldn't forget. There are things we should. And so the angel comes, and he's trying to remind them. Watch this. These women have forgotten something they're about to be reminded of. He says to them, he is not here. He has risen. Remember. He says, remember, and you got to think, they're leaning in. You know, uh, remember what? And he says, 
remember what he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Now, I don't know what they're thinking. The text doesn't say, but clearly they've forgotten. So when he says, remember what he told you? Like, he told them a lot of things. Maybe they're going, ah. Was it the thing about the camel and the needle? Or the mustard seed? Or the... Remember the first will be last teaching? Because that was a good one. Like, what are we supposed to remember? So the angel reminds him very clearly, uh, here's what he told you. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified. And on the third day be raised again. That's pretty dang clear. (laughs) And then it says, verse 8, then they remembered his words. Like, oh, yeah. Again, there are things in life worth forgetting. But there are also things that we forget that we shouldn't. And sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're big. They're birthdays. But then there's other things that we forget that should never be forgotten. And I think one of the things that humanity has done to us in creation and the lure of everything we can put in this bag has made us forget. Forget that the story of creation is that there is a God who once knit us together for purpose, for reason, for affection. But our own choice to rebel against him has created a chasm almost from early on to present day. But that God didn't let that be the case and he pursued us. That's what the whole message of Jesus and the cross is. And the cross being the place where he took the penalty, he took the shame, he took the punishment for our constant rebellion. It's what one author calls the sacred romance. Remember that the story of God is that he has constantly been about romancing us back into relationship. The story that we are not just made by God, but we are made for God. Remember that even I think God has pressed into the very center of who he has made us to be, our actual soul, a trigger and a reminder that constantly tells us we've been made for more. In the Old Testament, there's a book that was written in Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11 says this, he, speaking of God, has made everything beautiful in its time. And then he says this, he has also set eternity in the hearts of human beings. In other words, this idea that he's talking about setting eternity, he's not just talking about heaven, he's talking about the reality of what is the truest thing of all creation, that God has made us not just by him, but for him, that there is a being who has breathed everything into existence, who longs to be in relationship with us, and that God has actually pressed an awareness of that eternity into our very heart. And where it gets manifest is in every moment of disappointment in this life is a reflection of that eternity within us. It's literally a cry from inside of us going at every disappointing moment, no matter how small or how big, it's literally what God has wired in here going, this is not what I've been made for. One of my favorite authors, some of you know him, a guy named C.S. Lewis says it this way, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And I really do believe that part of what God did even when he made us is put something literally into our hearts that is a reflection, an ache, a cry for eternity itself so that every moment of disappointment in this life, it's a trigger. When you're disappointed in this life, when somebody doesn't come through, when something hurts, when we see things extreme as war and invading countries into other countries, and we just are aware of the brokenness of this world, it's where inside of us, the acknowledgement of those broken moments and broken situations is literally eternity crying out, you were made for something else than just this. 
And so here's these women becoming aware, remembering, acknowledging that even their cry has always been pointing them to Jesus. And so they run back to remind everyone, because that's what you do when you remember. You run back to tell others. So the text tells us back in chapter 24 of Luke that they go back to tell the other disciples, you're not going to believe this. We just heard, and he's alive, and it's all coming back together and what he said. But everybody's skepticism and, and disbelief is penned on high. And so here's what happens, verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words to them seemed like nonsense. So they go back and they tell them, they're like, you're not gonna believe this and here's what happened And the angels, they tell the whole story and basically their reaction is, it's a little early to be drinking. Like, I, that's ridiculous. This is complete nonsense. And I, I just don't think you can overstate the reality that the very first skeptics of the resurrection of Jesus Christ were his most avid followers. It was his disciples, his closest friends, his most loyal believers, those were the very first people to deny and to be skeptical that he was actually back. If that doesn't give all of us an unbelievable freedom to bring everything we have to bear to God, I don't know what does. All of your doubt, your skepticism, your questions, the things that don't add up, the things that don't make sense, all mixed in with your belief, with your faith. If you feel like you ever have to come to him and have it all figured out, have to keep back the doubt, keep back the questions, fake it like you feel it when you don't, no. No, this is an absolute invitation to say, bring it all. Bring everything to bear. When the very first people that dealt the resurrection were his closest followers, it's an invitation to bring it all. Every question. Everything that doesn't add up. But the reason for them that it doesn't make sense is the same reason that for many of us, and I would suggest all of us at some point or another, this didn't make sense. And it's that dead men don't come back to life. Unless he was more than a man. And so Peter, who's one of the disciples... He, he's in the group. He hears it to him. It also means nonsense. But he's like, I, I got to go see for myself. I don't get it. It doesn't add up. This is crazy. But I'm going to go check it out for myself. And so it says here in verse 12, Peter then, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Again, wondering, it's a little understated. He's not just going away like, I wonder what happened. This is peculiar. No, he's going away suddenly in a moment of deep, deep disconnect. Wait a minute. This, I saw him hang. I saw him die. I heard his last words when he breathed out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, and then done. This doesn't make sense. Nothing adds up to me in this moment. Now, here's what's super interesting. Again, I told you there were four different books that cover the Gospels that cover Jesus' life. So John, who is also one of Jesus' disciples, in his own account, he writes about this exact same moment. And for whatever reason, Luke neglects that Peter wasn't the only one that ran to the tomb. John also ran with him. And so here's a quick excerpt from John, what he saw and what happened with him. It says here in chapter 20, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Now, when John writes about himself in his own book, he never names himself. He always refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved or this, the other disciple. So when he says the other disciple, it's actually John writing in John the account of what happened. So it says here, so Peter and the other disciples started to the tomb, and both were running. I love this. It's such a guy moment. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It's like, even at the moment of resurrection, dudes are being dudes. They're like, hey, I just, I just want to be clear for all time. I beat Peter, so. Verse 5, he bent over and he looked at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then, 
Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the clothes that he had been wrapped around his head. The clothes still laying there in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, I love this, who reached the tomb first, also went inside. Now watch this. He saw and he believed. So John gets to the tomb with Peter, but they both have two very different reactions. John goes in, and based on what he sees, he does the work right there in his own head to go, okay, everything he taught, and, and there's no reason that Rome would have stolen this body because th that discredits their authority. The religious leaders wouldn't because it's a threat to their authority. There's no other explanation in this moment than he is who he said he was, and he did what he said he would do, and he believed. But Peter, Peter, it said, walked away wondering. Like, he's just having a hard time making it all make sense. Maybe Peter was just more rational. Maybe he was more logical. Maybe he was more methodical in his thinking. But he just walked away, and he went, I don't know what to do with this right now. And I think a few things. Number one, part of the invitation of God is, great, step towards me. See, one of the things that Peter did right is he, at least with all of his doubt, with everything about the resurrection that seemed like foolishness, he still ran towards Jesus. But I just want to say to you, if you're, if you're more like Peter, and you're like, man, it just doesn't make sense, though. Like, there's a God, and he made everything, and then he died, and then he came back, and it just doesn't, I, there's parts of it I just can't rationalize. It doesn't reason out for me. And, but here's the thing. Some of you, even in that place, you might feel something still. If it's true that there is this eternity pressed into your heart, then maybe today, maybe it's already happened, or maybe it's yet to happen, there will be something that you'll feel, a trigger, an emotion, a moment, and you will ponder, and you will think, and you'll lean in, but the danger is, is that like Peter, you could just go away then. You could go away, maybe for a few days, you'll think, you'll ponder, I don't know, maybe, and then just all of a sudden, go back to life as normal. And what's life as normal? Just trying to fill this up. And get all you can in this life to try to find life. And I just want to tell you today, what I believe with every fiber of my being is that if your life is about anything less than being fully surrendered into relationship with Jesus Christ, it will amount in the end to little more than a bag full of toys. Because you were not just made by God, you were made for him. And there's these two other people on the same journey responding to the resurrection that I want you to see their reaction. Verse 13, back in Luke 24. It says, now that same day, two of them were going up to the village called Emmaus. So two of them, this is two of the disciples that just heard the rumor, heard the rumor that Jesus is back. They were among the crowd that heard the women come back and say, hey, we just heard and the angels and putting it together, but that they're not getting it either. They're not believing it either. And so they're, they're on a walk right now. They're on this road. They're headed to Emmaus. It says it's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they walked and talked, they discussed these things with each other. And then suddenly, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And this is where I just think Jesus has such a personality. Because he shows up. They don't know who it is. For whatever reason, whether it was a veil over their eyes or their minds. Or sometimes you could just be so distraught that you don't see what's right in front of you. Sometimes you see what you only want to see. Whatever's happening in this moment, they don't get that it's Jesus here. And so he comes up and he's like, hey, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Like he doesn't know. Like, hey guys, what are you talking about? And so the one stands here and it says, they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, 
Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these last couple of days? So cool detail about this story that I've only recently actually realized is that you can read this and believe based on the way it's written that these are just two guys walking the road. Most scholars believe that these two disciples, Cleopas and the other one unnamed, is actually his wife. And that it's a married couple, which I just think adds such a layer to the story that God in his beautiful nature decided that some of the first people that he would reveal himself to post-resurrection was a husband and a wife who had been his disciples and yet are sharing this moment of distraught, discouraging disbelief. But he speaks to Cleopas, and Cleopas asks him, dude, how do you not know what we're talking about? How do you not know what everybody's talking about right now? Like, have you been living under a rock or something? Jesus like, well, I mean, kind of, yeah, a little bit. You could say so. And so Jesus asked him, well, what, what things are you talking about? And he says this, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. But the chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Now, here in verse 21 is where you get to the real heart of their disappointment. But we had hoped... You ever hung a hope on God that feels like it didn't come through? He said, we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's now the third day since all this took place. So this is where you start to realize not just the real disappointment and the reality of the nature of their disappointment, but you start to realize that in all the times that Jesus talked about saving and the people heard the word saving, they thought he meant something entirely different. Because you know this probably, but Jerusalem, Israel, is living under the oppressive rule of Rome. They have not been invited. They have invaded. They have taken over. These are not good landlords. This literally is the same situation we're watching play out in modern day. The big nation of Russia taking over the little nation of Ukraine. This is what was happening. So these were the Ukraines. These were the Israelites. They are waiting and wanting and hoping that whoever the Messiah, the Savior to come, will be is that what he will save is them as a people, the kingdom he will bring is to overthrow Rome and establish them back on the power heap. And so when Jesus talks about saving, what they're interpreting is, you're going to fix all the brokenness around us. Literally, here's what they're interpreting. You're going to fix all the stuff in here that's not working. Our broken marriage, broken relationships, the government that's not working out, the invading authority. Like They're thinking, you're going to fix all the things around us, all the brokenness around us, when in fact what Jesus came to do when he he said save was not addressed necessarily the brokenness around them, but the brokenness inside of them. He came to save something so much deeper than just the situations around their life. He came to actually save their lives. He came to bring them back to the reality of the eternity that cried out inside of them, and I believe inside all of us. But in this moment, they're probably living out a situation like many of us have been in, maybe right now. A moment of disappointment with God, where you expected him to come through on something, and it seems as if he didn't, hasn't, won't. And of all the things that Easter is, one of them is a reminder that in the moments it seems as if God is disappointing you are in fact so often the very ways in which he is attempting to amaze you. It's the reality that your joy just may be the thing that comes on the other side of your pain, that your broken dream will get exchanged for a new dream, that your disappointment exchanged for hope, that your frustrations on Friday will become your salvation on Sunday. 
your hope on Sunday. Maybe, maybe it's that Jesus is trying to tell each and every one of you and me and us, in fact, I am no further away from you than I was that couple on the Emmaus Road. I am walking with you. I am tangling up in your disappointments with you. He's even trying to speak to you and be heard. Even Peter, the one who didn't know what to do with anything, walked away wondering, walked away going, this doesn't make sense, it doesn't add up. We do know if we continue to read his story, he actually did wander back. He went back to this. There's a point he went back to what was. He went back to a life of fishing. And yet he ends up having an incredible encounter with Jesus on the other side of the resurrection that radically transforms him. So much so that he doesn't just believe life is not about that bag anymore, but he gives his life for Jesus Christ eventually. It would be Peter that would go on from being the one who didn't know what to make of all of it, who denied him, who betrayed him, who momentarily returned back to his previous life, who would go on to be the foundation of the very explosion of the church is the reason that you and I even sit here today. Peter would go on to give the very first message, sermon, if you will, post the resurrection of Jesus to a massive crowd of listening people. And I want you to hear what has changed for him from, I don't, want to know, I don't know what to make of this guy, to what he then says to this crowd. Not very long later. Acts chapter 4 records a moment, and it says it this way. Peter speaking to them says, Now you know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. For salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which men must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter came to believe. He preached to them, and it echoes across all 2,000 years to today. No one else saves us from all the brokenness around us, but mostly within us, than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who saves. And, and, and sometimes we get this idea, it's like, well, God's on a power trip, like, he's the only one? It gotta be his way or the highway? No, this is literally what God is saying to us across all history and in the whole of humanity, no one else is gonna come save you. But I did. And I will keep coming and coming and coming again. Because from 2,000 years ago to today, I believe his message is, my blood is still speaking and my love is still reaching and my cross is your freedom and my death is your life because my tomb is empty and my throne is filled and his story is not over and so neither need be yours because our God lives. His name is Jesus and he reigns. For the perfect Son of God in all His innocence, you're walking in the dirt with you and me. He knows what living is. He's acquainted with our grief. Man of sorrow, son of suffering, blood and tears. Okay. 
was like, oh man, you teased us. We all got up. Hold on, just stay up. Actually, I'm going to sit. You've been standing. I'm going to sit. Okay, here's where I need my helper. Where you at? Come on up. All right, while you're coming up, let's go back to the story. Because I want to finish off with this couple on this road. Because they haven't figured out who they're talking to yet. Verse 28 of the same text says this. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to go further. I love this because he doesn't, he doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't impose himself. God says, I... I made you, and I made you for me, but I'm not going to force myself into your life either. And so he acts like he's going to go on any further. And it says here, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, and the day is almost over. And so he went in with them. And when he was at the table with them, he began to take the bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. All right, where's my helper? You coming up? Oh, I scared her away, didn't I? All right, I need somebody. Somebody come give me a hand. doesn't matter. You're, there's four of you. She's coming? Oh, she's coming. She's coming. All right, sorry. Psych. Here she comes. All right, come on. You're missing your big moment. All right, all right, all right. Come over here. Here we go. Go ahead. Sit down for just one minute. Take that bag. This is you and me here. All right? So this, this, I love Jesus. He's so crazy sometimes. It says here, so finally they're talking, and they start getting this burning sense, and it's like, oh my goodness, they realize I'm talking to Jesus, and then it's like, we get it, and they're like, ah, it's him, and then he disappears. Like, it's just like this whole conversation, what are you guys talking about? And then he's like, hey, guess what? Boom, it's me, and they're like, ah, and he's like, boom, I'm gone, and he just disappears. But they're all excited, and they're crazy, and here's what I love about this story, is that sometimes we think, to get God into our life, we have to first figure it all out. We've got to get everything straightened out in our lives. We've got to figure him all out, and then we invite him in. And this story says the opposite. They invited him in, and then they got it. They began to understand. So here, take the bag. You, you probably, you're too old to probably have a Barbie bag anymore, right? Yeah, I and, play Barbies. You play Barbies? Yeah, I was playing last night. <laughs> last night? Yeah. All right, there you go. Good for you. So... Um, Here's the truth. When this bag, it's kind of like our life. And we've been talking about how we try to fill this bag up, fill our life up with all the stuff in the world to give us life. But if we're going to put Jesus in here, if we're going to do what this couple did and invite him in, all it requires is realizing this doesn't do it. And so what we got to do is get rid of this stuff. Can you just dump it all out for me? Wow, you had no hesitation in that. Get it gone. Get it gone. All right, here, grab that bag. What's in it? What's in it now? Nothing. Nothing. So you know what can go in it now? Jesus. Yeah. And that's all it takes. And you know what? You know what? What was your name? Reese. What is it? Reese. Reese. All right, Reese. You know why I wanted you up here? Is because the Bible talks about this idea that our faith in Jesus, that are embracing him, it's like a childlike faith. And some of you today, you're going to go, but it doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. The whole story, I just, and if I can't understand all of it, can I really embrace it? No, it's not ridiculous. And it's not foolish if you embrace what doesn't fully make sense. It's childlike. Let go of the resistance. Listen to the echo. The eternity that God pressed into your heart. Agree with him that this stuff will never bring you life. And invite him in. Invite him in. It's a simple way to do it. There's no, there's no prayer. There's no magic words. There's not even a verse you'll find that says, say these things in the Bible. And so I just want to give words to you that 
that are just my words, that can be a moment of just an honest, sincere saying to Jesus, come fill it, come in like that couple did. We want to invite you in. And if you've never made that decision, may this Easter be the moment of your awakening to the Jesus Christ who is risen. So would you pray this with me if that's your desire? Would you just maybe just even close your eyes onto the moment with me? Would you pray this and let your voice be heard? Dear Lord King Jesus, crucified and resurrected, I give you my life. Please give me yours. Amen. You're like, that's it? Oh, man. There's so much more to say between the two of you. But that's where it begins. And even if you don't right now feel something, everything just changed for you. Because our God is risen. His tomb is empty. His throne is filled, Reese. And he is our king who reigns on high. So let's sing with a different energy and a passion as we bring the service to a close. All hail King Jesus.
Happy Easter. As Peter once said to somebody who asked him for money, all I have to give you is Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected, and that's what we came to give you today, and I hope you got it. Thanks for being with us this morning and spending the day here. Uh, thanks for saying hi, and thank you to our parking lot team that's done an amazing job on your way out. They've been directing all kinds of traffic in this lot all day, so give them some good love as you go out the door. There's going to be some people up front that are here to just talk, pray, care on you if we can serve you in that way before you walk out the doors. But we're so thankful you were here today. Have a great rest of the day, great rest of the week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Happy Easter. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.